You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Church family, good morning. I tell you what, me and Christy, we love you guys. We've been here just three months and... You guys have just given us the opportunity to jump right in and just be a part of your church family. And Mrs. Capace, Pastor Capace, we love you guys and we're just so thankful to be here. And how fitting is it that as we're talking about the DNA of our church, Pastor Capace asks the missionary to talk about evangelism. I think it's awesome. And I think it's a testament to our church. DNA, the definition of DNA, and I'm not even going to try to say that long word, but it is a self-replicating material present in nearly all living organisms as the main constituent of chromosomes. It is the carrier of genetic information. Now, I don't understand anything that I just read to you, but in summary, in summary, DNA acts as a blueprint or recipe for a living thing. And we're talking in this series about the DNA of our church. And of course, week number one, I think it may have been my favorite of the, of the four. But week number one, Pastor Capace said, Our church, the DNA of our church, we welcome without what? Without judgment. We welcome without judgment. Week number two, Pastor Capace said, We love with no, what? Conditions. We love with no conditions. And then last week, Brother Butch brought the message to us. And he taught us that the DNA of our church is to live by the what? The Holy Spirit of God. We're a welcoming church. We're a loving church. We're a spirit-led church. And lastly, week number four, we share Christ no matter the cost. DNA, by its definition, is self-replicating. Just as we as humans have DNA, which we pass on to our children, so we as believers of Christ have Christ's DNA imputed to us. Amen? The righteousness of God imputed to you and me, the believers. It's not our righteousness, is it? No, it's the righteousness of the perfect Son of God imputed to us. And we, as His disciples, are to reduplicate this in others. That's what we call discipleship. And that not only is the DNA of gospel light, but it must be the DNA of any church. Don't you love the name Gospel Light? Just think about that. Gospel Light. The DNA of our church is to send a beam of the good news of Jesus around the world. Wow. This morning I have to commend you. I have to commend you as a church. This year, this church is going to give over $84,000 
to missions. You know, every week we have some kind of fundraiser here. A church like this, there's always something that needs to be improved and carpet that's tearing up and windows that are busted out and we're raising money and I just got to thinking about that $84,000. What is that money generating for this church? In fact, if we brought in a financial advisor, they might counsel us to not give as much to missions. Because we really need to, you know, improve a few things around here. And and that $84,000 isn't necessarily bringing us more customers, is it? But it's the DNA of our church. To share the gospel that has transformed my life to those who some have never heard the name of Jesus. As I'm preaching, I look back and I see Pastor Connor back there. I mean, what a testament to our church. A church that truly is gospel light. Now, Brother Capace is not here this morning, and so I thought I would just spend the rest of the time doing some trivia questions. Is that, are you okay with that? You okay with that? Okay, we're going to pick sides and we're going we're gonna to add up points now. I got two trivia questions for you this morning. Uh, someone who's smart out there, tell me how many New Testament authors there are, and we're not counting Hebrews. So how many, how many New Testament authors are there? Who knows? So yell it out. Hey, you were in the service this morning, you cheater. All right. There are eight New Testament authors. Two of them never met Jesus. Now someone just yell it out. Who are the, who's one of the two that never met Jesus of the eight New Testament authors? Luke. There we go. And who's the second one? Someone yelled out. Second book of the New Testament. Mark. All right. It is John Mark. So uh, Matthew, John, and Peter, those three were apostles. Those three walked with Jesus. Of course, then we know that Paul, he didn't meet, meet Jesus before the resurrection. He met Jesus on the road to where? Damascus. That's right. So he met Jesus. And then we had James and Jude, who were the brothers, the half-brothers of Jesus. All right, I have one more trivia question. If we took each of the eight New Testament authors and compiled each of their books in eight books, one for each author, which book or which author has written the most words? Now, who yelled out Luke? It's not Luke, is it? What is it? Who is it? Paul? Okay, we got a lot of Paul. Anyone besides Paul and Luke? John! We heard it. We heard, okay. There we go. Uh, has any, do we have anyone in here who's ever watched a video by the Bible Project? Oh my goodness, church family, you've let me down. All right, when we're done with this service, you get in your car, you pull out your iPhones. If you don't have an iPhone, get rid of your Android and go get an iPhone. Hey, we're preaching the gospel this morning, whether you like it or not. And I want you to go on YouTube and search the Bible Project, and it's going to change your life. Now, me and Christy, the last three years, we've been doing the Bible Project, read through the Bible, and they have a video 
for each book of the Bible. And it'll change your life. But when they asked this question, I said, well, duh, it's Paul. And then I thought, if it's not Paul, it's got to be John. Who said Luke up there? Who said it? I thought it was up there. It was in the back. Is that? Oh, it was Luke. It was <laughs> the theologian Luke Chittam. Well, Luke is right. It is Luke. There are more words in the books of Luke and Acts than there are in all of Paul's epistles and in all five of John's books that he wrote. Isn't that amazing? I found that to be fascinating. The gospel according to Luke was what Luke wrote, and it was about what Jesus began to do and to teach. And actually, originally, these two books were volumes. Luke, the book of Luke, was Luke's volume number one of what Jesus began to do and teach. And volume number two was what Jesus continued to do and to teach, and that's Acts. Did I say that right? We have Luke, volume number one. Acts is volume number two. And the Bible Project, they say that it would be more accurate to say Acts, the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, than the Acts of the Apostles. But I'll let you guys argue that one. But I found that to be very interesting. This initially was a two-volume set by Luke. In this book of Acts that we're going to be talking about this morning, Jesus spent some 40 days with the apostles after his resurrection from the dead. And a, an apostle is one who had, who had seen the risen Lord and whom Jesus Christ had commissioned to preach the good news. These men were given the gift to perform miracles and were commissioned to go throughout the world and preach the gospel. To baptize those who repented and believed. And to teach them to do that which Christ taught. This is a story about Jesus leading his people by the Spirit. To go out into the world and invite all nations to live under his reign. In Acts chapter 1, we had the ascension of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came and Peter preached on the second day of Passover, which is called Pentecost. That's right. Peter preached Pentecost and Peter gets up in front of all these Jews. And what's his message on the day of Pentecost? You killed Jesus. And all these Jews are listening to Peter and they're like, we did? He's like, yeah, you did. Well, what should we do? And he said, repent and get baptized. We know that thousands of Jews repented and believed in Christ that day. In chapter 3 of the book of Acts, Peter heals a lame man. You remember? He said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Oh, I love that one. But not everyone was happy, were they? Not everyone was happy. Here you got lame people running around rejoicing. Here you got people repenting of their sin and getting saved. And we got a bunch of happiness going on. And in verse number one, 
of chapter 4, the English Standard Translation said we had some people, I love this word, they were annoyed. They were annoyed at Peter and John and these zealous, crazy people that were running around shoving their faith down other people's throats. So, what they do? They take Peter, and they take John, and they arrest him. Now, what was their crime? Well, let's read about it. We're going to read Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, all who were of the high high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you heal this lame man? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, Hey, Peter, come here. Let's have a quick talk here. Now, you're getting ready to go in front of the council. And, you know, they can cut your head off if they want to. And, you know, they can put you in jail and and take all your wealth from you. So what we we want you to do as your advisor, Peter, we want you just to, we're not telling you, you know, to lie or to to skate around the truth, but just be careful when you go in there and try not to step on their toes and and just be real polished as you go in there. Here appears Peter. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done, to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Boy, Peter didn't do a very good job of being soft, did he? No, he's standing here in front of the council and he says, you killed Jesus. And by Jesus' name... We healed this lame man. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone. And now, maybe the most important verse in the New Testament. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Boy, Peter is waxing eloquent as he's talking to these counselors. And the the religious leaders, they're kind of chatting with each other, and they're like, these are unlearned men, right? These guys didn't even go to law school, and they're, they're in here whipping up the Harvard law grads. How, how is that possible? How are, they, how are they so wise and smart and understanding? Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, 
And they recognize, well, these guys were the ones who were walking with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. I love this. I don't know if you guys watch a lot of shows. Like, I'm talking about law shows. I'm talking about FBI shows. I'm talking about detective shows. Me and Christy like that kind of stuff. Not too gory. But as I'm reading this passage, here's, here's, here's what's going through my crazy mind. You guys already know I'm crazy, right? Here we've got the glass wall around Peter and John and the lame man. And the detectives are outside the glass wall and they're all chatting with each other. And, and the head detective's like, you, you guys are going to have to let them go. And they're like, well, we, we can't let them go. I mean, they're, they're out here propagating this gospel and saying that we killed Jesus. We got to do something. I, man, I mean, the people are out there. They just witnessed this guy being healed and we, we, we got to let him go. But well, what, what are we going to do? Okay, I got, you go in there, shove the table back up against them and just start screaming at them. You threaten them beyond belief. And then they'll, they'll, they'll move out of town and be, be afraid. That, that's what went through my crazy The Bible doesn't say any of that. But that's what went through my crazy mind. Verse number 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Everyone saw this lame man was lame and now he's walking and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they went into the room. They called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You ready for this? Don't you love this? But Peter and John answered them. There's a little bit of sarcasm right now going on, if you can't tell. Because Peter and John, they called their bluff. They know you guys can't arrest us. And here Peter and John speak up. They're like, uh, whether or not it's right for us to listen to you instead of listening to God, you, you be the judge. L- let me know. Should we listen to you or should we listen to God? Tell us. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Wow. Incredible. An incredible amount of boldness by John and by Peter. Would you admit that? Would you agree with me? This is boldness. And my question to you and I this morning would be, how were they so bold? How was it that they walked into that courthouse with so much boldness... They looked the council right in the eyes and they said, there's no other name where we can be saved. 
Okay, well, we want you guys to stop telling people that. Oh, well, we can't help but speak the things that we've seen and heard. We can't help it. You talk about boldness. This morning, I want to present to our church family three things that I think these apostles had that gave them the boldness to proclaim Christ at any cost. Number one, the disciples understood the exclusivity of the gospel. Number two, a deep understanding of the kingdom of God. And number three, a personal encounter with the risen Christ. Let's start off with number one, the exclusivity of the gospel. Both in this chapter, both in this day, and in our present day that we live, there is an overwhelming agenda to silence religion in the public sector. Now, you go ahead and you believe what you want, but just don't bring it into legislation. When we're talking about legislation, when we're talking about laws of the land, let's keep faith out of it. And we'll go ahead and just twist apart separation of church and state and we'll make it sound and be whatever it wants to be. But let's keep religion in the private sector. You believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe and we'll all be happy. I had a Buddhist lady... And I was giving the gospel to her, and she was extremely perplexed as to why I was in Thailand. And she said to me, she said, what I believe is right for me, and what you believe is right for you, why did you come here? And I said, because there is salvation in no other than Jesus. But I I want to make clear to you something this morning. Everyone has a religious belief. Everyone evangelizes. And everyone has an agenda. Everyone does. Sometimes I'll hear someone say, Well, that politician, you got to be careful because he has an agenda. As if the rest of the politicians and the rest of us don't have an agenda. You're right, that politician has an agenda, so do I. We all have an agenda because we all have a religious belief, and our religious belief drives us to that agenda. Let me tell you something this morning. Those who wish to suppress religion are imposing their religious belief on you. That is, and of itself, a religious belief. If I stand up to you and I say that all of us are right, first of all, it's ludicrous. But second of all, I believe that. And that is my belief. My belief is that we're all right. And so someone like me and Jesus, who says, no, we're not all right, Well, we're all right. Well, am I right that we're not all right? Well, we're just all right. Well, I'm saying you're wrong. So I'm saying that we're not all right. Am I right or am I wrong? See, it doesn't doesn't make sense. 
And for those who wish to suppress religion in the public sector, they are displaying their religious belief. And they certainly do have an agenda. And I want you to understand that Jesus Christ had an agenda when he came down to earth. And Peter and John had an agenda when they went throughout the world preaching the good news of the gospel of Christ. Everyone has a religious belief. And everyone evangelizes that religious belief. And everyone has an agenda. It is a religious belief to suppress religious beliefs. There is no other way to heaven but Christ. This gave the apostles passion. Hey, if there's no other way to heaven except by Jesus... And there's people all around this world who have never heard of Jesus. Let's all take a second and go, hmm, ready? Hmm. That wasn't good enough. Hmm. Let's try it again. Ready? Hmm. There's people over there in China who have never heard the name of Jesus. And Peter just got done saying there's no other name under heaven where they can be saved, but they've never heard of Jesus. Let's do it again. Ready? Hmm. Well, I don't want to shove my religious belief down someone's throat. Well, are they right? Are you right? And if you firmly believe that you're right and that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man cometh to the Father but by him, and they don't believe that, you still don't want to shove it down their throat? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not for shoving anything down anyone's throat. But to just flippantly say, well, I don't want to get in their business. Do you love them? Because if you love them, and if you believe in the exclusivity of the gospel, you have no other options than what Peter said. He said, I cannot help but speak the things which I've seen and heard. How did these apostles have so much boldness? How? Number one, the exclusivity of the gospel. Number two, a deep understanding of the kingdom of God. I think we're all aware that when Jesus took the apostles up into the mountain for teaching and training, they they were not shooting pigeons. Are, Are you with me? And as we read the Gospels, Jesus will tell a parable, and then he'll tell another parable, and then he'll teach for a little bit, and then he'll tell a parable, and he just over and over and over, he's training, he's teaching, he's trying to get it into the minds of his disciples what the kingdom of God is, what it looks like, how we we can become a citizen in the kingdom of God. But they didn't get it, did they? No, they didn't get it. But Jesus kept it up. He kept going. And they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, we want to make you our king. And and you can just go ahead and reign right now. And we'll all follow you. 
And Jesus is like, no, not. actually, I, I'm getting ready to go to the cross, and I'm going to die for the sins of the world and, and through me and my death. And they're like, no, 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 you're not going to do that, Jesus. And they're like, Jesus is like, I'm doing that. And then Jesus died, and, and they're, all, they're all troubled. This Jesus has died, and, and it's all over. And then Jesus shows up. And they touch his pierced hands. I want to explain to you this morning the importance of understanding the gospel. Of understanding the kingdom of God. And I want to make clear to you that God felt it was so important for you and me to understand the gospel that he gave us four books. The same thing written by four authors to help it click. So if someone gave you the gospel and it was four points written on the back of a card and you thought, well, I understand the gospel now. No, you don't. I'm not against... Four points on the back of a card. I'm simply saying that God wants you and I to be so overwhelmed by the truth of the kingdom of God. We cannot explain well what we do not understand well. Christ personally taught and trained his disciples, preparing them to stand trial for their faith and eventually die for it. They were ready to give an answer. We cannot explain well what we do not understand well. The greater we understand something, the greater our ability to pass it on. I want you to see what Paul wrote to his Jewish brothers in Rome. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is... That they might be saved. Were they saved, yes or no? No. For I bear them record that they have passion. They have zeal. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto The righteousness of God. If we have zeal without knowledge, we may be passionate, but our passion is not driven by the truth. First of all, these apostles understood the exclusivity of the gospel. Number two, they had a deep understanding about the kingdom of God. And I'll go ahead and give the Bible Project another plug here. I plead with you this morning to look up the Bible Project videos on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and use those as you're reading the Bible. Boy, it changed my life. It changed my life. They had a deep understanding of the kingdom of God. And number three, they had a personal understanding Encounter with the risen Christ. 
They had a personal encounter with the risen Christ. And somebody tell me who was Christ. The risen Christ. They had a personal encounter with the risen Christ. Who was Christ? Christ was the one who left his hometown. He left comfort. He left perfection. He left his father. He left his family. As we talked about last month, he left utopia. Jesus Christ left the comforts of heaven to come down to earth. And why did he come? To spread the good news of the kingdom of God. To spread the gospel. And what was the gospel? It was his death. Jesus came to us as a missionary. And he taught us about the good news of himself. And then... He acted it out, and he died on the cross to pay for our sins. These men saw the risen Savior's nail-pierced hands. This was the Jesus that had walked with them for three years. He wasn't just the Jesus they knew. Now they knew he was the Son of God. When we see the nail-pierced hands that bled for our sin. Our head knowledge moves to our hearts and we are changed. We are born again. Church family, I want to ask your permission to open up my heart to you this morning. In the last few months since I've been in America, I've had several mothers thank me for going through the mission field. And each of them expressed to me that they're so amazed with Christy and my boldness because they could never let their child go to the mission field. My objective this morning is not to guilt you My goal this morning is for you to ask yourself the question. Do you have that passion that Peter and John had? It is impossible to shut up someone who has been transformed by the gospel. My fear is, as parents, and my fear is, as teachers, that we are teaching our children how to blank. 
Sometimes we come to church and I know in a lot of churches I've been to, I've left with a whole list of things that I'm supposed to do better at. And maybe some of you, you heard I was teaching on evangelism and you said, this is going to be great. We're going to get some new tips and some new methods of how we can go and share Jesus. But you see, if you have the knowledge without the passion, what do you have? It was the passion mixed with the knowledge that gave these apostles the boldness to proclaim Christ, whatever the cost. We see in Acts chapter 5 in verse 40 through 42. This is just a chapter later. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. They whipped them. They were bleeding. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy. Did you hear this? They rejoiced that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. What I am not doing this morning is getting up and giving you a lecture that you need to teach and preach Christ every day in the temple. No! What I'm doing this morning is begging and pleading you to see the Creator on the cross. That's the only thing that will change my heart. When we see the creator on the cross, it melts our hearts. And nothing will be able to stop us from sharing our faith. Don't you understand that these apostles gave their lives? The point of this message is not for me to try to get you to want to give your life or try to get you to want to have pain. Well, I, I want to I give the gospel. Let's go look for pain. No, the point of this message is for me to ask you a question. Would you? Is your passion so strong that you could stand in a courtroom and look the judge in the eyes and say, You be the judge. I'm going to preach Christ. Church family, you know that I love you. The last thing I want to do is come off the mission field and rebuke you. This church is a missions church. Every time I talk to preacher, 
I'll tell you something about Pastor Capace. That guy has been changed by the gospel. I know he's an extrovert. And some of you sitting there, you might be like, yeah, well, he's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I could never do that. No, you might not ever be able to do this. But do you have that burning passion in your heart? At all costs, no matter what, we're going to share our faith. I believe with all of my heart, Christy, that there are some young people in this room that God wants to either join us or to join the Connors or to join someone on the mission field. I believe it with all my heart. But that's not going to happen if we do a nice little class, five ways that we can share our faith better. No. Have you personally encountered the risen Savior? Do you have a deep understanding of the kingdom of God? And do you understand the exclusivity of the gospel? Church family, if there's no other way, if there's no other name, we have to. We must. We're going to have to sell all of our things. And we're going to have to, at all costs, leave our family and our friends and our loved ones, and get the gospel to the lost at all cost. Certainly, I'm not suggesting that we close the doors here and all of us go be missionaries. But what I am suggesting is that our passion should be so intense that our number one priority, our DNA, is to welcome with no judgment, to love with no conditions, to be led by the Spirit of God, and to share our faith, whatever the cost. To the extent that we understand and believe the gospel, it will create a passion that propels us to share that good news, whatever the cost. Let's pray this morning. Father, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. God, you're so good. And God, we are children of yours. Because of your righteousness. We brought our righteousness to you, Father. And unfortunately, our righteousness was filthy rags. But you love us. You ran out to us, Father. You took our righteousness and our plan and you, you tore it up. And you gave us your robe and you gave us your ring. And, and you let us be called the children of God. 
Father, would you melt our hearts this morning? Father, would you help us to desire nothing more than you? Would you help us to desire nothing more than that those who don't know you would hear the good news of the gospel? Church family, as the music plays, just spend some time loving your Savior this morning. I pray that you'd fall at his feet in worship and thank him for the cross.